0: I'm your host, Nicholas Tui, and welcome to With Random Awesome People, the show about ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things. Join us as they share with us their life experiences and what they went through to get to where they are right now. So hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Wrap. And I've got with me a very old friend of mine. Um, her name is Janta Sagamruti. She's actually a doctor, so let's call her Dr. Janta Um She is the Senior Principal Assistant Director at the Planning Division for the Ministry of Health. And um, Ajanta, our doctor, I'll call you doctor because you earned it, right? So doctor, um, can maybe you want to give a bit of introduction about yourself and please leave out the college days where we got ourselves in trouble, please? Thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Nicholas. Nice to hear from you. So a little background would be like, um, uh, yes, I studied with Nicholas in the college. After that, I've got uh, into medical school, came back, that was like... 14 years ago, I think, graduated as a doctor. And slowly, now I'm in the ministry, in planning division. Right now, we are helping mainly on the data of the patients of uh, COVID-19.
0: Okay. And I think, I think doctor, I think this is going to be really much focused on COVID-19. And I know you're very busy. And the PM just announced another two weeks of, um, of extension Ascension. in the MCO. And I know that you have a yes. lot of stuff to do for the next two weeks. And he also mentioned that it could be possible... Um, more to come after that and obviously you have to put in the strategy for it. So, I mean, my first question is uh, what's your initial interpretation of the extension in the two weeks?
1: Well, I think it's for good. I think that should be the way. Otherwise, um, I can give you a simple uh, graph. You know, Canada and uh, Malaysia started having the same trend um, on the 20th of March, if you can see the data and the graph. Mm -hmm. But... The difference now between Canada and us, if you see the uh, the graph yesterday, Canada has reached about 19,290 cases with 4,222, 4, uh, sorry, uh, 436 deaths, whereas Malaysia, mm. we were able to contain it at 4,000. 228 cases and 67 deaths is plainly because of this MCO. Canada has not started at that time but we started it on the 18th. So the differences between Canada and Malaysia, you can see the huge difference just because of MCO. Malaysia is uh, doing far better than Canada right now. So Mm. I really think this is going to help.
0: Then do we compare Canada's size? I know Canada is a large landmass but it's not the most populated, Mm -hmm. right? Because half, I mean like I don't know, I think half of it is pretty much too cold to live in. But in terms of volume of people in Canada, are we almost... But but
1: as you can see, at first, the pattern was the same for Canada and us, regardless of the number of population. The pattern was the same at first. And Canada started overtaking us after the MCO. We started on the 18th, right? Mm -hmm. We started uh, slowing down at the number of cases where Canada was just shooting up and right now they have nineteen thousand two hundred and ninety cases. Okay.
0: And I guess my next question is how how are we measuring that, whether we're improving or not? How are we doing, you know? How are we measuring how are we measuring improvement? How are we measuring um the opposite of improvement, which the word can't come in right now, but, you know, how you are measuring decline? Is it by cases Mm -hmm. per day, recoveries, deaths, you know, how how do we put a KPI into whether we're getting better or not?
1: Yeah, so actually, uh, WHO is doing its own study for the entire world. But as for Malaysia, we are also doing our own study, measuring from the number of cases and the number of uh, people who have, uh, you know, successfully um, got out of it, you know, uh, cured, I mean. And uh, also the contact tracing, we can uh, see from the number of contacts that we are dealing with. So the KPIs will be uh, that, those who are being treated, those who are newly diagnosed. If the number is increasing day by day, that is worrying, that is alarming. You know, something, we are missing something somewhere. Mm -hmm. As it is, we have four clusters now. So um, I would say generally, we we are uh, improving. Improving, yes, the word is improving. But uh, definitely we need a longer period to fight
0: this. Yeah, and we're not skyrocketing like how you said Canada was, right? Because Canada really jumped up um, when they did yeah. implement any movement control order. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my next question is, you know, are our hospitals equipped to handle the numbers? You know, we're a smaller population, obviously, but we're a tighter mm-hmm. cluster. And, you know, we have government hospitals, and private hospitals. Are we really equipped to handle the numbers? All the stories about not having not enough test kits, having not enough... Um, masks or gloves, whatever it is. What's your input on that?
1: Okay, I wouldn't deny at first, yes, we were a little a shortage of uh, masks, face shield, all these uh, protective equipments. But I would really like to thank the people, the Malaysians who came forward, volunteer and, uh, you know, while waiting for resources, they actually volunteered doing uh, all this uh, gown, surgical gown, handmade mask, face shield, and they were just pouring out all this, um good-hearted people, these good souls out there. Mm-hmm. They were so concerned. They just came and helped all these frontliners. So we were coping. We are already coping. But I also would like to take this opportunity to mention our brilliant uh, Ministry of Health, DG especially. Mm-hmm. He is very much prepared. you know. Uh, not only the hospitals, as you know now, most of the hospitals have been uh, turned to COVID-19 special hospitals, yep. like for example, Sumai Bolo. Mm-hmm. I think HKL is getting there. And also the one in Serdang that they've uh, just recently converted. So I would say, uh, in that sense, we are actually over-prepared. Yep. But over-prepared in this case is good.
0: Yeah, so they were, they were making um, arrangements to ensure that there could be certain hotspots and certain i'll say epicenters and they want to put that into the hospital and become the main major control of it right so okay i think that's a very good strategy by our current dg yeah
1: Yeah, because otherwise it's also um scary for the normal regular patients Mm -hmm. uh, to have covid cases you know they don't even want to go and get themselves checked for other things that they usually go to the hospital. Yeah. So having COVID hospitals separately, it's a good thing for uh, any other ordinary cases to go to the hospital.
0: Okay, so that, that actually explains the next question which I want to ask you. Let's uh, just say if I'm sick or there's a pregnant mother that goes in for a checkup, mm-hmm. is that a risk, you know? And if so, how do I minimize the risk when I need to see a healthcare professional for a non-COVID-19 sickness?
1: Okay, for example, if you're just having any ordinary... Um, um, like a diarrhea or any other issues, nothing related to with COVID and you need some uh, clinical assistance and you walk into a clinic, first of all, I would really suggest that you wear mask, you know, mm-hmm. protect yourself mm-hmm. first. But not to worry because all health um, centers right now, they screen all the patients with COVID symptoms like cough, cold, sore throat and things like that. And they are seen separately in a different area.
0: Right. Who decides if I have COVID symptoms or not? Basically, the, the there's a healthcare professional or a nurse or someone in the front of the door, right?
1: They have a triage uh, counter right. where they will ask your uh, symptoms, and this is where we want the patients to be honest to tell. You know whether they have any contacts or what are the symptoms. Only if they tell us the truth. Imagine if someone lies right there, and then you mm-hmm. know we can assume that this is any other regular cases and put them with the healthy patients. This is where the risk is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'm also very interested, um, th- what's the treatment for COVID-19? Say, for example, if I turn mm-hmm. up to the hospital and mm-hmm. in the trash area, you confirm, hey, Nick, yeah. you you got all the symptoms of a COVID-19 patient. Let's test mm-hmm. you. And when we test you, from there until the test, what happens? And then if, if I do test positive, how what, okay. what goes on as a patient?
1: Okay, first of all, there are several stages. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you from the time when it's tested positive, okay? Yep. So once you're tested positive and you uh, have not much uh, severity, for example, you don't have difficulties in breathing and such, you you're just like any other ordinary patient who has normal cold or cough. So what the hospitals will do is, number one, they will quarantine you okay, in a room. Uh, Secondly, they will be only giving you supportive treatments, meaning they will just check your vital signs Mm -hmm. and see if your hydration is okay, if you're developing anything else. And, you know, just constant monitoring for two weeks until they repeat another sample to know whether you have have cleared uh, from this COVID-19. For example, people like uh, chronic illness, especially the older ones here are at risk, where uh, they have diabetes, um, hypertension, even asthmatic patients and all that, once they're exposed and they're diagnosed with COVID-19, they they really show a lot of symptoms and they really deteriorate really fast. Yeah. And these are the patients that will need the ventilator support where they will be transferred to ICU and you know things from there. But otherwise, if you are doing pretty well, you, all you need to do is just to be quarantined and all you get is supportive treatment. Okay.
0: So obviously, there's no vaccine, right? Obviously, you have this this your body has to, in a way, beat the disease by itself, correct? So so if I go in positive, there's two ways, two outcomes. One, you start, uh, sorry, the outcome is that everyone starts to be quarantined first. Now, if I'm Mm -hmm. quote-unquote healthy, Mm -hmm. in a way, um, Mm -hmm. my condition, sorry, not healthy, but my condition does not deteriorate, then I'll just finish my quarantine for that two weeks and I'll get tested again. And it again. if my det- if my condition deteriorates, then you will treat me in accordance with whatever it is that's deteriorating, whether it's um failure of you know, uh, yes. lung or kidney or whatever it is, right? So you treat it as per True. as per a medical case for the particular failure. You can't treat it as a COVID 19 because there's obviously no no vaccine or treatment for it. Yes. Okay. Now, what if after two weeks I get tested again and I am still positive, what happens then?
1: Okay, after the two weeks, if your result comes back as positive, you'll be quarantined again mm-hmm. and they will repeat another test after several days. Uh, they will have to do it until you are you are tested negative. Okay. They will never discharge you, you know, otherwise.
0: Right, and that's sim- that's more or less the precursor of why we're doing a movement control order, right? Everyone gets quarantined. We're not going to test you, but uh, we get quarantined and ensure that you have no symptoms as a whole.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's
0: right. Um, And I guess in terms of the the vaccine, right, I'm, I'm not sure whether mm-hmm. you are in the right position to answer this, and I don't want you to, you know, put yourself in a situation where you have to answer to the Ministry of Health, but hypothetically, if and when, mm-hmm. I'll say when we get the vaccine, I'm very optimistic, when we get the vaccine, doctor, how mm-hmm. is the normal distribution process, you know, what's the priority in distribution? Who will get it first? I think that's the... The question that everybody wants to ask you know a, yeah,
1: yeah I understand okay as for now I don't think um there is any discussion pertaining this vaccine and who are the priority mm-hmm. but as a doctor I think I deeply feel for the older generation mm-hmm. because they already have pre-existing illness which is uh, definitely not a, not a very good thing for this COVID-19 because I see the young and healthy ones are recovering fast. Yeah. The young ones who are dying are only with conditions like thyroid or asthma or obese or things like that but the older ones have uh, slimmer chances of surviving. I personally feel that it should be given to the older
0: generations okay. first. So obviously we're going to give it to the ones which are hospitalized and suffering from it now. Um
1: Yes, yep. and the next will be those who actually um have high chances of contact.
0: risk. Yeah, yeah, higher risk. Yeah. Okay. I was also told, uh, of course, doctor. Before I came and have a conversation with you, I asked a couple of my. I basically asked everyone if they have questions on this particular scenario. So <clears throat> we're not all doctors. Actually, none of us are doctors. So some some <laughs> questions might be a bit ridiculous. Uh, some might be controversial. I hope you're okay. I hope you're okay in answering those.
1: I'm okay.
0: <clears throat> okay. So uh, I've one question about herd immunity, right? So together, we mm-hmm. can build immunity. Is that an outcome? Because at the end of the day, even if I'm a COVID-19 carrier, I don't show mm-hmm. any symptoms. So i am never, <clears throat> I will never take the, yeah, I never test myself, right? But that immunity, is that built uh, inherently in the community? Is that a solution for it? Or, you know, how, how does that work? I
1: think this- I think this um, herd immunity is a very risky thing to take because there is no research as for now for COVID-19 for this. Mm-hmm. And I think by um, trying to do this, we might really get a lot of people exposed. And, you know, there is no uh, study on this yet. So I think I think it's... Um, um, I don't think we will have a favorable, favorable yeah. outcome on yeah. this.
0: Are there any other, I'll say, diseases that have been cured by herd immunity?
1: Hmm, not the major ones, not that I know
0: Okay, so just, just minor ones. Any any ex- examples of minor ones? Sorry, I'm testing your your four plus five <laughs> years of, really of uh, doctor education. <laughs>
1: Let me see for now. Mm.
0: If not, we can edit this out. If I can follow through with a couple of uh, contexts as well. So don't worry about it. I can, people can do their own <laughs> research on Google. <laughs>
1: Like, I can't really think right now. Don't worry now. about it. You have
0: more serious things to think for uh, to think for a doctor. <laughs> Don't worry about that one. So I I guess um, I also got a question here. Um, I I read the news where the person goes through plasma recovery, you know, quote unquote. They uh, they they infused plasma. They sorry, they yeah. had a transfusion of plasma from a recovered COVID 19 mm-hmm. patient uh, mm-hmm. into another patient that has not recovered mm-hmm. yet and is suffering from COVID 19. Um, to yeah. enable them, give, give them better fighting chance. Is this a practice? Is it relevant? How efficient is this?
1: Okay, uh, I realized that some countries have already started this. Mm-hmm. You know, what they mean by uh, plasma recovery is when a pa- uh, patient is infected with this disease and uh, eventually they will form antibody towards it and uh, extracting their plasma from this patient after recovery mm-hmm. and using it on another patient uh, and they're expecting for good outcomes. I wouldn't say this is a wrong practice, but we have not much evidence in this short period that how well this is going to work. It could be like, you know, uh, having this practice can even introduce new things to the patient that we're going to test it on. Right. So no proper test in Malaysia, and not, we are not really doing it yet.
0: Okay. And and I guess plasma transfusion as a whole is... Um... It's plasma, right? So it's got no DNA. Yeah. It's got. Correct me if I'm wrong. I I didn't I didn't pass my bio that well, <laughs> but there's no DNA imprint. So plasma is basically something that can actually increase your wellness, but it doesn't really mean that it carries a an antibody that's going to help you fight any particular disease. Correct.
1: Uh, it does have antibody, uh-huh. but we we can't assure that you won't be uh, passing any other.
0: Together with it, right? Okay. Yeah. And that's why everyone, I am not a doctor, because I'll be start. I'll just start giving Plasma to everyone. <laughs> everyone <in that> <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I guess for this, it's like um, let's go back a bit on the MCO as well. And hypothetically, um, you see it extended. We've extended for two weeks, and you do see it extended okay. for maybe another two mm-hmm. weeks or a month after that. But mm-hmm. your your personal opinion as as mm-hmm. as a as a mother, right? I know you got uh, beautiful children. Um, when do you think it should be extended until what's the safe threshold to go? How far in terms of the extension?
1: Well, personally, I think uh, it will go up to at least mid or end of May. Mm-hmm. you know because um, generally any virus, this kind of outbreak, it takes about sixty days, sometimes ninety days even to actually clear. Uh, you know to be totally clear i'm very worried as a mother i'll be very worried to send <clears head throat> my children to school yep. uh, although it's insane handling them at home but yeah <laughs> yes. you know I, <laughs> I definitely want it um to be extended and i'm thinking it's going to be roughly up till mid or end of May.
0: right okay and how can we how can we as malaysians what, what do we what can we do ultimately as malaysians to help out this is okay, there are lots
1: and lots of things Malaysians can do to talk, help. talk it
0: through. Let me let them let me hear it straight from a doctor instead of some WhatsApp group that everyone tells them about.
1: <laughs> okay, number one, they can actually stay home. Mm-hmm. You know, all they request to do to save this country right now is to stay home. And really, so, really stay
0: home, right? Not like, oh, let me okay. go to the store with out of Milo. Let me go this out, oh, this like must stay home, right? <laughs>
1: Even even if there is a need that you need to go out, they have to practice certain things. Mm-hmm. For example, the social distancing, one meter. Number two, your mask, you know, you have to wear it and wear a proper mask in the proper way, not just for the sake of covering your face, wearing something just, you know, just to show that, hey, I, you know, I'm also wearing a mask. It's not like that. And number three, your, your hand hygiene is really important mm-hmm. because the, the only way it's going to be... Um, uh, trans, uh, transmits from one person to another is from your touching and droplets. You know, mm-hmm. so definitely this is one thing. Uh, your hygiene, personal hygiene, your social distancing, and staying at home. Okay, this is already a very big help. But there are also other things that you can really do as a Malaysian right now, which I'm also doing. Other than my medical line, I'm doing a lot elsewhere. I always think of the others who have no food. You know, mm-hmm. people say go home, stay at home. What about those who are homeless? Yeah. They have nowhere to hide. You know, what about people who depend on daily income? They need that income to feed the children. And now everyone is stranded. Nobody is going out. Who is reaching out to them? So my concern as a Malaysian. I would really like to help where I can, so I have my own NGOs gathering people, gathering groceries, mm-hmm. and trying to delivering it to them. Mind you, I can do this just by being home. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have to actually go out and expose myself to help someone.
0: Yep, I think I think that community impact is becoming more prevalent as you know yes. these times become a bit more desperate as well. I think that I people who are—I mean, obviously we have people who are day laborers, people who are uh, working. In the factories that might not be able to, to have a monthly or a consistent paycheck. So us for those who are lucky enough to have a consistent paycheck, mm-hmm. I think we should do our best and do our part to take care of the rest of the, our our citizens as well. Um, yeah. Doctor, I want to thank you again. I is there anything else you want to 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 say before we finish this? I know that we're running a very tight time, and I really appreciate the time that you have. But any last piece of advice that you want to give out to anyone who's listening to this um, podcast
1: Uh, I think Nicholas you're doing a great job because you know creating awareness is the first basic step Mm -hmm. you know without having awareness uh, it's very difficult for us uh, from the Ministry of Health the health uh, workers to to win this battle you see so awareness plays a big role so my um, request for people out there is please stay safe let us help you. That's all we need to win this. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all.
0: And, and what can we do to to help specifically the frontliners of Malaysia, is the medical staff, the the people in the hospitals, not just the doctors, but you know, uh, people who are doing maintenance, cleaners, people who are always at risk of this particular disease. What can we do to help as Malaysians?
1: I think uh, there are a lot of people who are already helping you know by sending them uh, all these protective equipment mm-hmm. and even sometimes showing their gratitude through a simple meal and things like that I think that itself is a really big help and uh, appreciation I think a okay. small appreciation like this goes a long way
0: Yeah, uh, I guess it's, uh, if you do want to contribute and help you don't have to do it immediately right obviously if everyone everyone buys a meal for for, for a doctor on the first day a doctor will have like 10 meals that he can eat one time he had it one. there
1: are proper channels yeah. though you know so
0: yeah I guess if you need to help go through a sustainable channel uh, a food bank uh, NGO and I guess if you go online they have a read on it, there's a lot of Malaysia, locally based Malaysian NGOs that can really contribute yeah. to this in a long run. I think spot. the
1: frontliners for now are well taken care of because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people are coming forward, especially the caterers and things like that. They're already coming forward to contribute. But I think my, I, I'm more concerned about those like um, refugees, the single mothers, yeah. you know, yeah. who, homeless people. Mm-hmm. I think that will do... Doctor, uh, uh, yeah.
0: yeah, I have one last question. So let's just say we we beat this, we have a vaccine. Um, how is the landscape after all this? How is the landscape after we we go through? I want to say beat it, but we break through a pandemic, and you know we start to get better. Where do you see it going? And how? What's your you know? I guess what's your opinion on how things would change? in terms of healthcare, medical-wise, in terms of community, where do you see it going, let's say, two, three months after we push through this pandemic?
1: I think generally, not only for Malaysia, it's throughout the world. I think everybody has learned their lesson to be well-prepared to face this kind of um, uh, pandemic, you know? Mm -hmm. So maybe we've not had this in a very, very long time and many countries were under-prepared. And as you can see, even now, uh, some of them are not really coping well with this. Yeah. But I think Malaysia, as for now, is doing a really, really great job. And I think uh, somehow along the way, um, I see Malaysia as more Malaysia now. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone definitely. is. Uh, yeah, you know, it's something beautiful you know, uh, midst of all this chaos. I, I'm also learning how to see the beauty among Malaysians. And I think this will be a great lesson for all of us. Sometimes I can't help thinking that this is God's way of um, uh, slowing things down to appreciate small little things, values in life. Uh, I suppose after all this is over, Malaysia will be a better Malaysia.
0: Yeah, I think... When this is over, we think we have to be a bit more self-aware of the things that we do on the day-to-day and not yeah. take too many things for granted. I know that we definitely, either people who are listening to this one, either directly you've lost someone or you know someone who's lost someone or at risk. So I think we're we need to be a bit more aware of what we do, what we consume and how we contribute back to the community. I think that's great. Okay, so doctor, thank you again for your time. Very, very much appreciated. As um, we close down to close to about thirty minutes time, I just want to say, be safe out there. Thank you again, very, very much from from bottom of my heart, every single Malaysian out there. We really, um you know, are are in all of the of the things that the doctors and the medical. Pro- Providers and everyone in the front line is doing so. Do give them our prayers. Do give them our best wishes, and for yourself, personally, Doctor Ajanta, take care and be safe as well.
1: Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you for this opportunity as well. You take care too. Sure,
0: I'll I'll wash my hands and not touch my face all the time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thank you, Doctor.
1: Have a (laughs) good one. All right, bye.
0: If you'd like to find out more about the show and listen to other episodes you can subscribe to us on spotify youtube facebook or whichever platform you use do leave us a comment feedback or rating that will help us out a lot our instagram handle is at with random awesome people if you could tell a friend about the show or share it on social media every little bit helps thank you again for your time and we'll see you on the next episode